Okay, today I'm going to be talking about how to last in CrossFit. So CrossFit churns a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes who want to do well, who want to strive for their potential and compete at a high level in person. And a lot of people make it two to five years and then find themselves running into one of two things, either tissue integrity issues or adrenal fatigue some version of adrenal fatigue. And I'm going to talk about why those two things happen and how to prevent those two things from happening in the long-term development of a CrossFit athlete. So let's define what we mean. So tissue integrity, uh, mainly this happens around the joints, specifically the shoulder and the knee joints are where CrossFitters start to experience uh, their tissue integrity breaking down and it's it can be with contractile tissues but it's also often with smaller connective tissues non-contractile tissues um, connective tissues around the knee joint and then uh, rotator cuffs uh, labrums uh, these tend to be things that pop up for crossfitters five plus years into their career and so Instead of looking at that and saying, oh, well, it's part of the sport, like it's going to happen, while there is truth in that, there are steps that we can take in the long-term development of CrossFit athletes, or if you're a CrossFit athlete listening to this, and you want to last longer than the typical two to five years that you can do, especially in your off-season, to prevent these things from happening. The second is adrenal fatigue. So this is essentially... CrossFit, the type of work that you do in CrossFit, where the contractions are dynamic eccentric in nature, they're it's athletic movement and the contractions happen quickly and eccentrically, that perceptually can create a lot of fatigue and can be fueled by a lot of adrenaline and cortisol and essentially the, the accumulation of lactate and being close to your threshold all the time you can do that better if you use adrenaline and cortisol for a certain amount of time. It's a resource that does run out. And you see this in other sports too, where athletes take a year off or two years off, and then they come out of, back out of retirement because they've basically done nothing but eat and sleep and enjoy themselves for a year or two. And then their resources have returned and their organs are ready to secrete those essential hormones that allow you to get really excited and do really athletic things. And so <clears throat> this one is probably the least avoidable of the two, but it is still something that you can adjust your training, especially in the off season, like we'll talk about to minimize the chances of it happening or to extend the amount of time that you have before you start to experience the effects of it. Okay. So two principles that we'll start with, respect the seasons and respect the individual. So we'll define what we mean by both of those. Respecting the seasons means that your training has to be periodized. You cannot be competing every single weekend. You cannot be doing online qualifiers every single weekend. There has to be some sort of off season in your training and some form of ideally progression for the next competitive 
expression that you're going to do. And so respecting the seasons is essential. And it's worth mentioning it in other sports. It would kind of go without saying like, of course you have an off season, but in CrossFit it's sacrilege to take weeks off and to have an off season. It's like, Oh, well we're in our ideology. You know, it's three days on one day off. And it's like, well, you're not an athlete if you're doing three days on one day off 365 days a year. I'm sorry. You're, you're not, you're, you're not vocationally pursuing this in any way. If you're capable of doing that, if you're capable of doing three days on one day off wash, rinse, repeat for 365 days a year for multiple years, you are not striving for your potential because you could do so much more if you periodized you could reach such higher peaks if you periodized. And so, yeah, so you have to periodize your training. Uh, there has to be some element of seasonality and it's different for everybody. It, there's no specific number of times a year that are ideal for always and everywhere, every athlete to compete, but it's not every single weekend that I can say for sure. Okay. Next, you got to respect the individual. So doing a, an elite, CrossFit athletes program where you're training for 22 hours a week is going to make most people really, really tired and not better. It's going to, it's going to wear them out. It's going to injure them and they're not going to be expressing their peak potential by imitating someone else's. So your exercise selection, the amount of resistance training that you do in your program, et cetera, et cetera, has to be appropriate for the individual. So ideally your training challenges you just barely beyond what you're currently capable of. And that's what you adapt to. So if you constantly feel like your training is too easy, which is probably not very many CrossFitters feel that way, then that would be a red flag where most CrossFitters probably are is they feel like their training is really, really hard all the time and they don't do enough easy training. So Respect the seasons, respect the individual, and you'll be well on your way to extending the lifespan of your tissues and staving off adrenal fatigue for as long as you can. Okay, so now I'm going to go into very specific recommendations that you can implement in your training today, now that it's the off season for the vast majority of people, that will help you last longer in CrossFit. So more easy training, uh, less dynamic eccentrics. So what does this look like? More cyclical work, less simulating, less sports-specific exercise selection, and more isometrics. Okay, so I'm going to talk about each of those. More cyclical work. So the beauty of cyclical work is that it is concentric-based. So the machine takes any requirement for an eccentric contraction away. When you're rowing, your, your seat slides back effortlessly to the bottom position of the squat slash hip hinge where you then extend the knee and the hip slightly and then you perform the concentric contraction and that's what propels your boat, so to speak. A bike, same thing. You're, you're only performing concentric contractions and the beauty of that is that it's a lot less fatiguing from a central perspective and it's a lot easier on your tissues. So 
because the connective tissues take twice as long to heal as muscle tissue, you can often finish a competitive season and maybe your other systems are feeling good. Your muscle tissues are feeling good and your connective tissue might not quite be back to 98% or a hundred percent, whatever that number is for you before you get into training for the following year's season. And so by using cyclical work in your conditioning, getting your conditioning from machines primarily, especially really early on in the off season is a good best practice because it's going to allow your connective tissue more time to heal than if you jumped right back immediately into tough mixed work, especially if you're doing sports specific movement selection, which in CrossFit is essentially all dynamic eccentrics, burpees, just a bar, you name it, but box jump, it has a dynamic eccentric component and you need to generally, it's a best practice to give yourself a break from that. So more cyclical work. Okay. Less simulating, less sports specific movement selection. So instead of all the dynamic eccentrics that you see in the sport, I mentioned a few of them, burpee, box jump, chest to bar, instead of doing those things, you do row and farmer's walk and then some rear delt accessories. So you're taking common limiters inside of the sport and you're breaking them down and you're addressing each of them individually. So this is a great way to think about training in the off season rather than thinking, okay, I can't do 150 chest bar fast enough. It's like, Okay, well, you could get right back into doing chest bar and call me in three years. Because if you're doing 150 chest bar a week, 365 days a year, yes, that's what athletes mean when they say it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Your rotator cuff is going to have micro tears in it and it's going to fail you. But instead of just doing 150 chest bar a week, 365 days a year, you can say, okay, what are the limiters in chest bar? What are the limiters that are keeping me from doing 150 chest bar in five minutes? Okay. Well, I, my grip fails me. My, I occasionally have pain behind my shoulder because I have micro tears in my rotator cuffs and metabolic fatigue catches up to me. I get really metabolic because the rate is so high. So we look at those three and we say, okay, metabolic fatigue, you're going to get on the rower. And while it's not going to be the exact same skill, there's going to be quite a bit of transference from the rower developing your metabolic ability to your metabolic ability doing chest bar without any of the wear and tear on that vulnerable tissue. Grip, you're going to do farmer's walk. Rear delt, you're going to do elbowing rows and crossover symmetry like your life depends on it. So you can see that one training session is 150 chest bar. And while that would be totally appropriate a few weeks out from a competition, three weeks immediately following a competition, it's very inappropriate. So the training session that I just described where I'm on the rower and then I get off and I do some farmer's walk and I'm back on the rower and then I do farmer's walk, right? And I do that for 20 to 40 minutes. And I say, okay, I need to do some rear delic session, do some crossover symmetry. It's like, wow, like I actually feel really good. And I addressed all of the limiters that are keeping me from doing 150 chest bar fast enough. 
without doing any chest to bar. So I offer that framework as a way of thinking about training. The further you're out from competition, the more you can break down what is limiting you into component parts and address each of those component parts individually. Okay. More isometrics. So very similar to concentric based or concentric only conditioning. Isometrics are a lot less fatiguing and a lot less demanding on your tissues than dynamic eccentric contractions. So more pausing in your resistance training, more isometrics in your mixed aerobic work. So lots of carries and holds. And that's going to be, again, give your connective tissue time longer to heal. And it's a very good best practice to incorporate more of that if you're training as a CrossFitter. Okay. So more easy training. All right. Next, deloads. One deload week every four to six weeks of building. So again, we're going countercultural and we're saying, yeah, you should take weeks of very easy training. Very, very easy training. And what you think of as easy training is probably not easy enough if you're in the CrossFit space. So if you get four to six, six weeks in to a mesocycle and you don't feel like you're wanting a deload, then in my opinion, you could be training harder inside of the mesocycle. So if you are four to six weeks and you're like, oh yeah, I still feel good. Okay, like another four to six weeks, another four to six weeks, another four to six weeks. And your deloads are like six months apart, then I think you could be packing more progression inside to each mesocycle. So what does a deload week look like? Well, I just described it. It's more easy training. It's more cyclical work, less mixed work. It's less sport-specific exercise selection, so less dynamic eccentrics, and more isometrics, more carries, holds, things that are you're getting work in, but it's a lot easier both from a central fatigue perspective, from a letting your connective tissue heal perspective, and from a perceptual perspective. It's a lot easier to get yourself to do. Okay, so one deload every four to six weeks, done the best practice. Okay, practice your paces without fatigue cost. So what I see a lot of inside of CrossFit at the current landscape it's either AMRAP 12 or zone two. <laughs> I, I laugh when I say that because it's like in what other sport do they just run the race itself and do zone two? And that's their, that's their whole training. <laughs> no, you have to practice the pace that you need for the race. So the pace that you need for the race is a skill in and of itself. 15 reps a minute feels different than 18 reps a minute, which feels different than 22 reps a minute. So you have to practice each of those and get really, really good at each of those across a wide variety of both cyclical and mixed tasks. So how do you do that? It's very, very simple. You do three and five minute intervals of both cyclical and mixed work. And that is what's going to allow you to hold your race pace for a 12 to 20 minute race, which is the sport. That's what the sport is. 12 minutes, essentially, but 12 to 20 gives you some 
gives you some wiggle room. Okay, are there occasionally shorter races? Yes. It is very, very stressful to practice paces that are higher than that three minute interval. And if you are participating in the sport, this is getting a little bit nuanced here, but it's worth going into. If you are participating in the sport of CrossFit, chances are you have a fast twitch bias. It is, CrossFit is definitionally a fast twitch sport. It's causally varied functional, but it's at high intensity. So generally speaking, if you are participating in CrossFit, you have a higher proportion of fast twitch fibers to the average person, which is probably why you were better at sports as a kid and why you're, why you're connecting with this in your twenties. And therefore it is really easy to do a lot of damage to yourself in a shorter amount of time. So if you practice really lactic endurance type work three to five minutes as fast as you can, that can really wear out a fast twitch individual. Now, if you're a very slow twitch individual and you excelled in distance running and swimming and you're coming into CrossFit and you have to spend like 80% of your time doing accessories and strength training, then those little three to five minute lactic endurance pieces might be really appropriate for you. But generally speaking, if you are a faster twitch individual, those pieces bury you. And I used to use them a lot more than I do now because I realized just how much they were wearing out myself and my clients. And so my, my new take on the races that are shorter than 12 minutes is, well, if you have, if you are really, really practiced in your 12 minute race pace or 20 minute race pace and beyond, then the shorter stuff, you're going to be fast twitch enough. And if you, if you really want it and you're tough, you'll be able to tough out those shorter races. Now that doesn't mean we'll, we would never do like an a lactic power or a lactic power progression, like up to 60 minutes, because while it can get a little bit lactic, it's not going to bury you quite the same way as a lactic endurance piece would. All that to say, generally speaking, the sport is about doing more training, not less training faster. So if you find that, okay, the only, I, I do a 12 minute AMRAP or I do zone two, then there, there's a gap there in your training. You could be doing more work at 15, 18, 22 reps a minute than you are doing right now. So instead of doing that 12 minute AMRAP, do 10 sets of AMRAP three of the exact same thing with an aerobic work to rest ratio. So one to one or two to one or some a work to rest ratio like that. So instead of doing a 12 minute AMRAP where the first half of it is easy and then you're at your threshold for the second half of it and then you collapse at the very end of it and you're like, oh, good, good training. The other guy is over here who's doing individualized training and he just got 30 minutes in at 18 reps a minute. You got 12 and he's less fatigued than you. So he got more work in and is less fatigued because he spent less time just digging deep and going to the well and staying at that threshold because he had the rest. But he's, he got nearly three times as much practice in at 18 reps a minute than you did. So that's the way to train practice paces without the fatigue cost. Do you eventually need to do AMRAP 12s and 20s and practice the sport? Of course, absolutely you do.
But generally speaking, if you give yourself some rest, you're going to lower the fatigue cost. You're going to be able to accumulate more time practicing paces that you'll need for the race. And you'll be able to last longer. So guys, to review, okay, the two things that stop people, tissue integrity and adrenal fatigue. Okay, the two principles, respect the seasons and respect the individual. Get periodized training, get individualized training, especially in the off-season. The off-season is when there's the most disparity between training programs. Leading into a competition, it's like, sure, do TS program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're training for the games, like, <laughs> you know what the games are. You're three weeks out. Like, you just kind of need to be ready for the games. But if you are six weeks following the games, that's when your training programs need to look the most individualized and the most dissimilar. Okay. So how do we stave off tissue integrity and adrenal fatigue? More easy training, more cyclical work, less sports specific exercise selection, less dynamic eccentrics, more isometrics. Okay. One deload every four to six weeks of building and then practice your paces using intervals so that you don't have the same fatigue cost and you get more time in practicing your race pace. Guys, see you in the next one.